Okay. Uh, why you? Why me? Why your kids? Uh, why dogs and cats and badgers and bumblebees? Why salamanders and kangaroos and aardvarks? Why? Why mountains and trees and flowers and oceans? Why one-cell creatures that live under rocks in the deepest part of the ocean? Why uh, nebulae and supernova and billions of galaxies? Why? Why anything? Um, I was thinking this week that some of you will be getting ready to leave us. And I want to say a couple of things to you before you go. Okay? Uh, I don't ever, there's a couple points I want to make today that I don't ever want you to forget ever. Okay? So I'm not actually going to preach a text this morning, but I am going to refer to Scripture quite a lot. So you may want to jot these Scripture references down uh, if you care to. But what I want to address this morning is, are, are a couple of questions that Christians should always be able to answer without hesitation. Christians should be able to answer the question, why anything? Why? Why everything? What is God's purpose for anything? What's the answer to that question? Pardon me? For His glory. Excellent. All right. Excellent. For His glory. Now, this could be a two-year sermon series, okay? I mean, we could talk about that for a long time. But it's only going to be 30 minutes, okay? Lord willing. might be a little longer. Try to keep it to 30 minutes. Why does God create for His glory? Why badgers and bumblebees and dogs and cats and you and me and salamanders and supernovas? It's for the glory of God. Of course, God has many goals many ends in all that He's doing. But preeminently, God is putting His infinite value, worth, and greatness on display for all the created order to see. This is the biblical message. This is the message of the Bible. God, His ultimate end is His glory. And John Piper says it so well, and I've shared this quote with you before. I want to share it with you again. I love this quote. This quote really enhanced my... Uh, theology. It really enhanced my view of God. I, I still remember where I was when I read it. I was laying on my bed back in 96, and when I read it, I said, that's who He is. I know that's who He is. I'd known it all along, but, but Piper really helped me articulate it in my soul. Listen to what John Piper says. In creation, God went public. Don't you love that? He didn't need to go public. He was completely satisfied within Himself. The Godhead was, was, was just completely satisfied and, and self-sufficient eternally and irrepressibly happy in Himself. God didn't need to create. He didn't create from need. As some of our children's curriculum some that we don't use, some will say, God needed a friend. No. God was completely self-contained. God was full in Himself. But, but, he's, but Piper says, God went public with the glory that reverberates joyfully between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. I love this view of God. He went public with the glory that reverberates joyfully in the Godhead. So the eternal happiness of the Godhead spilled over into the work of creation. Listen to this. <laughs> 
All His works are simply the overflow of His infinite exuberance for His own excellence. Don't you love that? I love that sentence. This is who our God is. All of His works are simply the overflow of His infinite exuberance for His own excellence. God is an irrepressible fountain of joy and life and love and fullness and happiness. And creation is almost an explosion of all of that. I love that view of God. You know, Paul told Timothy, Paul Paul called God the blessed God. And you know, you know the other word, when you, that, that Greek word that's translated blessed, it could be translated how? Anybody remember? Happy. The eternally happy, self-sufficient, overflowing, exuberant God. This is who our God is. Exuberant God. And you know this about Him, right? I hope you know this about Him. This is who He is. Infinitely full and happy. This is a basic, foundational, fundamental, biblical truth about God. I want to make sure you know that before you leave here. I, I, I fear there are many people that sit in churches all their life and they still don't know this about God. They still don't know it. They still don't know how to articulate this. That He's infinitely happy and He's giving that to His kids. He's giving that to the redeemed. His infinite joy. So why anything? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. There's another consideration. There's another consideration that's all wrapped up in that. It's for the glory of God. And what else? Does anybody know? We've talked about this off and on some. And I'll, 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 get you, I'll give you a Twinkie if you know the answer to this, man. I, I'll get some Twinkies. I have a source. I'll give you a Twinkie if you can answer this. God, is, God creates for His glory... And for, oh, and I'll get to keep it at my house, all right. <laughs> okay, no, I didn't tell her. I didn't tell her. You think I'm going to give away a Twinkie? It's a, it was fixed. you got to be kidding me. God creates for His glory and for our joy. This is what I want to talk about today and I want to share with you because after you leave here, I don't want you to ever forget. Even on your hardest day, I don't want you to forget. It's for your Father's glory and it's for your eternal joy. All that He's doing, everything He's doing, everything He's doing is for His glory and for the joy of His people. As I thought about this, how could I say it? And I thought, it kept coming back to me. God is radically committed to His children radically committed to His children. And that's what I want to talk about today. I just want to go through a couple of verses, you know. just want to go through a couple of verses. I want to remind you how radically com committed to you God is. It's an astonishing thing. I mean, I was just worshiping all week as I thought about these things. This is really one goal. Viper says it well. This is really one goal. The glory of God and the joy of His people, it's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. Because our joy is the glory of our Father. And I love, I love thinking about it like that. As God pursues His glory, He's pursuing my joy. <laughs> it's an awesome thing. It's an awesome thing. That's why anything. That's why everything. I want to say one more thing and then I'm going to start sharing some scriptures with you. 
But Jonathan Edwards, that great American theologian, he said it really well, and I've shared it with you before, but I love this. You know, God, God in creation, God puts Himself on display. You know, He's displaying and revealing His glory to all intelligent beings, right? But He's doing something different with the redeemed. Do you remember what, what He's doing uh, to the, with the redeemed? He's putting His glory on display for the created order, for all the created order, but with the redeemed, He's, you got to get this, He's communicating His glory. He's communicating His glory. Communicating in the sense that in, in some mysterious way, He's conveying it. He's sharing it. He's imparting it. All you got to do is go read John 17 and just worship for you know, a long time. Go read those, these breathtaking words of Jesus Christ in John 17. Jesus prays that they may have my joy made full in them. He continues, verse 22 of John 17, The glory which, uh, which Thou hast given Me, I have given to them. It's awesome. Verse 23, Thou didst love them even as Thou didst love Me. We're loved as the Son is loved. Wow. 24, verse 24 of John 17, I desire that they may be with Me, that they may behold My glory. Verse 21, even as Thou, Father, art in Me and I in Thee, that they may be in us. And I've shared that passage with you many times, but it's like, uh, that's the passage that no theologian dare try to parse. But in some mysterious way, as one, one theologian did say, we're the, the redeemed are the fourth member of the Trinity. I love that picture. We don't ever become divine. No, that's not what I'm saying. But somehow we are brought into such close union with God. As Jesus clearly says here in John 17. This is awesome stuff, man. This is outrageous. It's outrageous that God would do this. That He would love us like this. And bring us into union with Him. It's outrageous. It's like I tell you, I tell you all the time when I preach the Bible, I would never believe these things if God weren't saying them to me. I would say, well, that's, that's, that's lunacy. If I didn't know this was the Word of God, I would say, I'll never believe that. But we know this is the Word of God. Why anything? Why everything? For the glory of God, for the joy of His people. And God is radically committed to the joy of His people. All we have to do is look at the cross, right? Let's look at the cross. That's the measure of God's commitment to you. Look at the cross. The cross preeminently glorifies God. Every attribute of God is on display in the cross. It glorifies God. And it's for the joy of His people. For the joy of His people. God became a man and was nailed to a tree. Let all the created order stand in awe. Let all the created order stand in awe. When we went through the Gospel of John, we said that over and over and over again. Let all the created order stand in awe. Our great Creator God has been nailed to a tree because He loves His people. Why the incarnation? Why the cross? Why the resurrection? Why the ascension? For the glory of God and the joy of His people. Wow. I don't ever want you to forget this truth. As you leave us, never forget. And be in awe of it every day of your life. Every day. If you get up one morning and you're not in awe, <laughs> you need to go be with God. 
how can we not be in awe of this awesome message? And I've shared with, with you before, if you really grasp and you really believe this, that you, your soul, your life, your body, your marriage, your singleness, your kids, your career, your money, your hobbies, your plans, your dreams, yes, as Adam said so well, your trials, your pain, your heartaches, your sicknesses, and your death, they're all for the glory of God. They're meant to be for the glory of God. And if you really believe that, you'll live your life far differently than if you don't believe that. Far differently. Far differently. It's for the glory of God. And as you leave us, I want you to always remember that. I want you to always remember that. And I want you to remember how passionately God is committed to you as one of His own. So I just want to look at a couple of passages that underscore this truth of God's radical commitment to His people. And I don't want you to ever forget it. And uh, Nick was kind enough to read the text. And what, I mean, I could just preach that. I could preach that for like, I don't know, three years and never get to the bottom of it. The text that Nick read. But I want to start there. Romans 8.31 God is for us. God is for us. If God is for us, what does the text say? Who can be against? I love that verse. Maybe It could be one of my favorites. I know I say that all the time. But, um, but let me ask you, beloved, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe God's for you? In the pressure of your business? Do you believe God's for you in the, in, in the, in the hard times of, in your marriage? Do you believe God is for you when you're having trouble with your kids? Do you believe God is for you? Do you believe God is for you when, when the health crisis comes? Do you really still believe that God is for you? God says, I'm for you. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. God says, I am for my people. It doesn't say I'm, God's pulling for us or God's rooting for us. The text says... Every single day, every breath we take, God is for us. And He will bring His omnipotent exuberance and power to bear in your circumstance. And He will do a perfect thing, a perfect thing in your life. The God who spoke a, effortlessly spoke a billion galaxies into existence and upholds those galaxies by the word of His power, this is the God who's for you. He's for you. He's omnipotent, almighty, all-powerful, invincible, unstoppable, irrepressible. He is for you. Don't ever forget that. I love what Daniel 4.35 says. None can stay His hand. In heaven or earth, none can stay the hand of our God. If God's for me, no one can stop God from being for me. He's for me. And He's for me forever. He's for me forever. I love what Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. No one can stay His hand. No one can stay His hand. You know 2 Chronicles 16.9. It's one of my favorite verses. Probably one of yours too. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that He may what? Strongly support those whose heart is completely His. He's ready. He's poised. It's like we talked about a couple weeks ago. He, he, he's like in, in the starting blocks. And when we trust and obey, man, He releases that power. 
And He comes to the defense and the aid of His people. I love how we sang, He does not grow faint and He does not grow weary. Ever. Ever. God is for you. You and God are always a majority. Always. Always. It doesn't matter how hard it looks. It doesn't matter how impossible it is. You and God are always a majority. You are always more than conquerors. You will always get the ultimate victory. It may not feel like victory today, but you will get it. You will get it because God is for you. He is radically and passionately for you. And it's for His glory and ultimately and eternally for your joy. These are awesome truths. and We need to get this stuff. We need to know this stuff. This will animate your Christianity. Even on your worst day, it will animate your Christianity. Jeremiah 31.3 You guys know this verse. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. We've talked about this several times. As long as God's been God, He's loved you. Think about it. Everlastingly. No beginning, which blows our mind, right? And no end. As long as God's been God, He has loved you. It's an omnipotent love. Nobody, no thing, no one, as Nick read, you heard the text, can separate us from Him. Nobody. Nothing. It can't happen. It won't happen. It will never happen. We are eternally secure in the love of God. We saw it over and over in the Gospel of John. I forget now. Was it, was it five, six, seven times? I don't remember. We saw this, this imagery. We, we saw how Jesus used this language about about all of the, the ones that the Father had given to the Son, right? We kept, we kept seeing all this language. And, and, and so we can easily surmise that the redeemed are simply a love gift from the Father to the Son. And Jesus says, you think I'm ever going to lose one of them? But the Father has given me. <laughs> We're precious to Him for a, a myriad of reasons, not the least of which is we are a love gift from the Father. To the Son, I love to meditate on that. God is passionately and radically committed to His children and He loves us. We've talked about this so, so often too. He is giving us the kingdom. Gladly giving us the kingdom. Luke chapter 12. He's freely giving us all things. Nick read it. Romans chapter 8. And He is blessing us with every spiritual blessing. Ephesians chapter 1. As we said so many times, we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. He loves us with an everlasting love. He's brought us into the, into the family. We are adopted children of God. This is awesome stuff. It's beautiful. I don't want you to ever forget it. Another verse, Jeremiah 32, 40-41. I love this. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from Me. I will rejoice in doing them good with all my heart and all my soul. Don't you love that? God is committed to doing good to His children. I rejoice in doing good to them, He says. And you know Romans 8.28. Maybe the most oft-repeated verse in this pulpit. We know that God causes almost everything to work for the good of those who love Him, those called according to His purpose. Is that right? Some, some of you are going, no, no. Well, he works almost, almost everything. Pretty much everything. No. Paul says we know he works 
Do you believe it, Christian? Do you believe it? That God is at work proactively in your life to work for good. If you believe this sovereign assurance of God, if you really believe it, nothing can ever blow you over. Nothing. I don't care how hard it gets. And we've said it so many times, when you can't cry anymore and you can't hurt anymore, God's doing a good thing in the believer's life. He's doing a good thing. It is well with my soul. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been at the bottom. I've been at the bottom. It was still good with my soul. It was still good with me and God. And He does not grow faint. He does not grow weary. It's hard, but He's there. And He's doing a good thing. He's doing a good thing. He says, I will never turn away from doing my people good. Don't ever forget it, Christian. Don't ever forget it. And He says, I will rejoice in doing them good with all my heart and all my soul. God is radically committed to you. <laughs> Man. Beautiful stuff. Oh, you know what else? You know this. Romans chapter 8. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us. Right? With groanings too deep. What? For words. This is not some obligatory prayer. The Spirit is praying passionately for the redeemed. Oh, who else is praying for us in Romans chapter 8? Does anybody remember? The Son. You heard Nick read it. The Son uh, is at the right hand of God interceding for us. And I always like to, when I read, go to Romans 8 and I talk about this, I always like to make sure you do the math, you understand how many members of the Godhead are praying for you. Anyone? Two. Very good, Adam. Very good. Two. Two members of the Godhead are interceding for you. That's awesome stuff. That is incredible stuff. The other thing I always like to say when I talk about this is, you know that James 5 text that says the, uh, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, let me ask you, how much does the fervent prayer of the Son and the Spirit avail? How much? Everything. <laughs> Everything. Two members of the Godhead are praying for us. God is radically committed to us. Radically. You remember what David said? I just want to hit this litany of, of, of the Psalms. Psalm 3.3, The Lord is a shield about me. My shield is the Lord. 18.2, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer in whom I take refuge. 27.5, In the day of trouble, he will, counsel, he will conceal me in His tabernacle. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. 32.7, God is my hiding place. He preserves me from trouble. He surrounds me with songs of deliverance. Psalm 46.1 God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 61.3-4 For Thou hast been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against my enemy. Let me take refuge in the shelter of Thy wings. Psalm 62.5-8 my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. On God my salvation and my glory rests. 
The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is our refuge. God is radically for you. If you belong to Christ, and I meant to say this, I meant to say this at the outset, all of these promises are for Christians. Okay, They're not for anyone else. They're for Christians. They're for people who are in Christ. And I meant, to, I meant to make that qualification. All the things I'm reading to you, it's for Christians. It's not for anybody else. It's not for the world in general. These promises are for all who have repented and come to Christ. These promises are for them. These promises are for us. He is our defense. He is our deliverer. He is our fortress. He is our strength. He is our shield. Awesome stuff. Listen to Zephaniah 3.17. I love this verse. Zephaniah 3.17. When was the last time any of you ever read from Zephaniah? Okay. Need to go there. Check it out. Alright. Zephaniah. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in His love. He will exult over you with shouts of joy. Don't you love that? God loves us. Listen to, the, listen to Psalm 149.4. The Lord takes pleasure in His people. Did you know that? <laughs> Psalm 147.11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. Psalm 35.27. Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of His servant. I love this stuff. Not only does He love us, not only has He shown us that He loves us, He's excited about us. He takes pleasure in us. He delights in us. I love this about the Lord. He rejoices over us with gladness. He delights in our welfare. He is not dispassionate. He is not apathetic. He is not distant. He is not disinterested. He's radically committed to His people. He's got His hands all over us, right? And and He's bringing history to that perfect end where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to our Lord and our Savior for the glory of God. In the glory of the Son, God delights in us. He loves us. He is for us. He is our shield. He is our deliverer. He's working for our good. Why anything? Why everything? For the glory of God. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. It's for the glory of God. And for your joy. Okay, so here's the application. Uh, what am I supposed to do with all this? Is this just beautiful theology that's supposed to make us feel warm and fuzzy on Sunday? Or are we supposed to do something with this? Are we, what do you think? You think it's just for Sunday morning? Or do you think maybe, maybe it could be for Monday through Saturday? I don't know. What do you think? Anybody? Maybe? I think it is. What did the song say? How did it go, Adam? Every day what? It's you I live for. Great job on the songs. Every day what? I will follow after you. Every day what? Walk with you, my Lord, every day. It's supposed to impact every day of your life. If you really believe these things, they are meant to animate your Christian life on your best day and on your worst day. This truth is meant to animate you. 
God calls His people to live lives of radical faith. And He knows we can. He's not calling us to anything He hasn't enabled us to do. He knows we can because He's radically committed to us. He's given us everything we need to live these Hebrew 11 lives. We've got all we need. We just got to do it. We just need to... We just need to do it. God intends that His radical advocacy for His people is to radically affect the way we live every single day. Every single day. So, beloved, if you're still living like the world, I'm going to exhort you today to stop. Stop living like the world. Stop thinking like the world. Stop planning like the world. Stop hoping like the world. Stop conforming to the world. You're a son or daughter of God. And He expects you to live that radically. He expects you to live that radically. We're not supposed to live small and manageable and careful lives on this earth. We're only here for a few moments. We talk about it all the time. We're here for a few moments. We're vapor upon the earth. And I, and I think God expects us to be as radically committed to Him as He is to us. I don't think I, don't think I know. It's a biblical concept. As we said so often, I love this. I stole this from uh, some preacher, but I love it. We are to live the unprecedented. You need to always be moving forward with God. You know, unprecedented things should always be happening in your spiritual life. Or somewhere along the way, you've sat down. We are to live the unprecedented. We are, we are to leave comfortable assumptions and mediocre expectations. We are to live an uncareful life. I love that. I always love that phrase. I think our, John Eldridge penned that, and I love that phrase. We are to live uncareful lives in faith. We're not to live afraid like the world in a little bitty box. We're to live uncareful lives. Lives of faith. Believing Romans, uh, pardon me, Hebrews 11.6. We're supposed to live that full out. Hebrews 11.6. Believing that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. To believe that every single day. That's why so many men and women in the Bible were able to live as they lived. They believed God was foreign. Abraham believed God was foreign. So he just set out, not knowing where he was going. Right? Moses believed God was foreign. So Moses was able to turn his back on the passing pleasures of sin, as the Hebrews 11 text says. Gideon believed God was foreign. So Gideon took 300 guys, they outnumbered 450 to 1, and they went, they went to do battle. David believed God was foreign. <laughs> so he stepped in front of Goliath. No problem. God's for me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they believed that God was for them. There's no way I'm going to bow down to your idol. I'll never do it. God's for me. And whether He saves me or not, which He can, I'll never bow down to your God. Men and women live like this because they believe what God says. That God is for us. Peter, James, John, and all the rest, they left everything to follow Christ. They believed that Christ was for them. 
We talked about this woman a couple of times the last few weeks. That widow who threw in that last penny. You don't throw in that last penny unless you know God's for you. You don't do that unless you know God is for you. I love that. They lived uncareful lives because they believe what God says. They believed that God is for them. You remember that awesome thing that God says in Hebrews 11? I know we, we've talked about it some. That awesome thing that God says about His people. The people that actually, you know, follow Him. I'm talking about church members. I don't, I'm not talking about church members. I'm talking about people that really go with Christ. People are really in love with Him and call Him Lord and live like You know that great text? I think we hit it in Bible study. Was it last week or is it in this week's lesson? Why do you call me Lord and never do what I say? So I'm talking to those who uh, have made Him Lord of their life, right? What does God say about those men and women? I'm not ashamed to be their God. Don't you love it? I'm not ashamed to be their God. Don't you want the Lord to say that about you? I want the Lord to say that about me. So I don't want you to ever forget why anything. Because of the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. And it's for the joy of His people. And I don't want you to ever forget that God is radically and passionately committed to you. Radically and passionately committed to you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray together. Father, what awesome words. What awesome words. You are for us. Who can be against us? Forgive us all, Lord. I know, at least I am, I'm guilty. Maybe a few others in here are. And we don't really believe that. And we don't really live that. Forgive us, Father. Forgive us for not believe, simply believing what you say. And then acting upon it. What an awesome thing. What a freeing thing. What a liberating thing. You are for us. What can man do to me? Even if he slay me, How liberating. You have called us over and over and over again to radical faith. And we know why. Because of your radical commitment to us. You know we can live that faith. Because you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You will give us everything we need. You are our defender. You are our provider. You are our redeemer. You are our rock. Lord God, may we appropriate these truths. 
May we not live one more day in a very small way with a, with a small kind of Christianity that really doesn't glorify You, that really doesn't bring honor to the name of Christ and to the life-changing power of the Gospel. Lord God, may we live in such a way that the life-changing power of the Gospel is on display for everyone in our orbit. Lord God, we thank You for these awesome promises. And we rejoice that You are for us and that no one can ever separate us from You. We rejoice and we give praise that You are such a faithful and good God. We praise You, great God. We worship You. We magnify You. We adore You. We extol Your name. Thank You, Father, for these awesome promises. Thank You for this great encouragement. Thank You for this great exhortation that we might live these last few moments we have on the planet in radical faith. Living Your promises. Acting upon them. And feeling your, your disclosure and Your presence in our life. We praise You, beautiful Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.